welcome to another episode of the Red Arrow Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Marco, with my co-host who is somehow not sunburned after hours of sitting in the sun all day yesterday. <laughs> Jessica! How's it going, Jessica? Good. I'm not burned, like you said, so that's good. I mean, I know it's over, it was overcast yesterday, but you can still get sunburned on an overcast day. You can and probably I usually get, do. You can get sunburned. You, specifically, can get sunburned during a solar eclipse or the middle of the night because yep. you're so fair. Yes, but somehow yesterday I didn't. Yes, it's a it's a weird little miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. We were down at a lake down in Indiana for an event, and it also involves being by the water, being out on a boat. Yeah, it was a good time. Kids had fun. They had a blast, especially with the tubing off the back of the boat. That was wonderful. Kid three had never been tubing before. He had not, so that was a serious experience for him. Um, All he loved the emotions. It. He hated it. He was happy. He was sad. He was terrified. He was overjoyed. That was in a span of 30 seconds. Yes. It was so funny watching his facial reactions change. Especially when his butt left the tube. Yep. That was the time he was terrified. <laughs> it was awesome. But it was a three-seater, and he was in the middle between his two older siblings, mm-hmm. and yeah, they were having a blast. They did have a good time. That was a fun day. <laughs> well, before we get into everything else, though... What are you drinking? Okay, I am drinking a low-carb matador, and it's not, it doesn't exactly follow the recipe, but for the most part, it does. Matador being, is this a tiki drink? It's very tropical I don't know if it's a tiki drink or not, but it's got tequila in it. Okay. Um, It does look tropical, and this, I'll just tell you what's in it. So you're going to put ice into a shaker, and then two ounces of tequila. I use Cabo Wabo because that's what we have. And a half ounce of lime juice. We well, also had Casa Amigos if you wanted some George Clooney tequila. Yeah, that's okay. I like Cabo. Um, and a quarter ounce of low-carb simple syrup. We use a Torani kind. And then this is where my recipe differs. You're supposed to use a quarter ounce of low-carb simple... Um, sorry, a one and a half teaspoons of pineapple water flavoring. But we didn't have that. So I used one and a half teaspoons, basically a squirt and a half, of Tropical Fusion Mio... And then I shook them all together and poured them into the really fun hurricane glass. And then I added a little circle a of lime. Glass. Tulip, hurricane, whatever. Hurricane glass doesn't have a uh, stem on it. I don't know glass. It, anyways, I mixed it all up and I stuck it in a cup. And now I'm going to drink it and it's going to be amazing. It's kind of a pinkish hue with a green lime on it. So you've got some tropical vibes and colors going on. Yeah. You get your nice metal straw that may well make tons of noise throughout this whole episode because they always do. I'm saving turtles. Saving turtles. It's important. Yeah. So when people hear the clang, 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 it's because you're saving turtles. Just right. Keep, every time you hear a clang. Think of the turtles. Um, I, anyways, I'm super excited to drink it. It's very tasty. It's very fruity. It's very fresh and bright and happy. And it's perfect for this very hot summer day we are having right now. How about you? What do you have over there? I am not having fruity and refreshing. Shocking. But tasty. Yeah. I'm having beer barrel bourbon distilled by New Holland Brewing. I guess this would be New Holland Distilling. There are dragons on that label. There are dragons on this label. So here's the deal. Well, quite often you can find uh, beers that are aged in bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. This is the reverse. So they make their bourbon. They age it in American white oak barrels like most bourbons do. But then they finish it in barrels that they've already aged their beer in. And their signature beer being Dragon's Milk, which is a milk oh, stout. Okay. stout. Yeah, milk stout. So they've taken the beer out. And then they go put this new bourbon in there and let it rest. Cool. Just soak up some of that flavor. So it's... It's got a deep, nice, uh, complex flavor. I think I've had this a while. We've recorded before, but 
you know what? Today was just kind of a uh, kind of a beer barrel bourbon day. <laughs> Never mind about that. I see that you're drinking it out of the world's tiniest glass. This is not the world's tiniest glass, but it it's is close. Probably the world's tiniest glass that has a handle on it. Mm-hmm. What? Why? This is uh, my little glass. I was trying to pick out something small. I was going to have one of my little tasting snifters. And then I saw this right next to him. And it's, this is my beer 30 cup. Cute. Which was a... It is super cute. Yeah, they've done this twice now. It's a, a bicycle ride. We've spoken about it before. Pachyderm Peddlers do it out of uh, Stevensville, Michigan. And you go off on a ride on the various routes. And they give you a little cup. And you have a little sample of beer along the way, if you so choose to. Mm-hmm. Some places offer a little bit bigger sample than others. But at the very least, you get this little cup's worth. And, uh, you know, with, we ran into Greg this week. And he mentioned that this coming week... The Beer 30 will open up. So by the time this posts, because we're recording in advance, Beer 30 registration should be open. Yay! But from the time you and I are speaking to each other right now... It's not. It's not yet, just yet. But by the time it's posted, it will. So go online, find them on Facebook, The Beer 30, mm-hmm. and sign up for it, because it's, it's a blast. I'm signing up for it. I know you are. I am not up to doing 30 miles just yet yeah you mentioned they're going to do the 30 and the 60 and oh, Jesus. your little your little um that's what they're going to offer this time around your little seven speed and you haven't been doing a lot of training last summer you would have done the 30 i could no have problem. done this no problem last summer and the summer before that it would have been just fine but we did 12 miles what thursday and i thought that i was gonna die and then my knees were sore for two days so 30 miles is out. Right well, we should now. talk but about you'll that. you'll have a good time. We should talk about that a little bit. So we went Thursday. It was a beautiful night. My dad said he was going to come out riding too. Of course, he says that every week and usually bails on us. Yeah. But he actually showed up. Kid number one was out there with us. She made her return. And we went out with the Pachyderm Peddlers. We decided we'll do the slow roll because we've got you who hasn't been riding very much on your seven speed uh, townie. Okay. Well, hang on. We got kid number one. I'm not just picking on you. Uh, we got kid number one who's still getting used to shifting and riding a bigger bike. We got my dad who is my dad and he's going slower these days. And so we went with the slow roll group and I was really, really impressed with kid one. Like she has just improved by leaps and bounds since that first ride we took her out on a few weeks ago with uh, the peddlers. And uh, she was doing great. She was averaging uh, 10 to 11 miles an hour which is what that group kind of goes at. But we got to one point where she fell off her bike. Yeah, we had stopped at a stop sign and she it's it's hard for her to get going after stopping because the bike is a little bit too big for her. And she got up and then she fell off. <laughs> um, so we all turned around to go back and help her. And I'm watching the speed and she's and she's going 11 miles an hour because I had gone back and she's going up. But of course, by that point, the group had taken off and the next stop sign because they stop at the stop signs mm-hmm. to all kind of bring the whole accordion back together Yep, was it was part of the route where it was just going to be a while before there was one. So the leader kind of fell back and said, Hey, do you guys know your way around here? And we're like, yeah, we, we, we live down the street from the brewery. These are our biking routes. Yeah. She's like, you guys just want to do your own thing. We're like, yeah, not a problem. So we took off. And at one point they turned down a road and you and I know that road very well. There isn't much of a shoulder. It's pretty much the white line. And then it drops off. Yes. And it's a fast road. Yes. In fact, it's faster than posted because a lot of people just treat it like a drag strip. Because there's nothing yeah. out there. <laughs> but we were looking and we we're like, there was a there's a blinking light. The next major east-west road down the line, you could see the blinking light. And we asked kid number one, like, do you think you can make it that far? This is going to add mileage to the trip. And she's like, yeah, I can do it. 
So we actually went on a longer route. We stick, we kept the pace, but instead of being, you know, they have all these these fun names to their routes. We just ended up being the Team Tomasi group, who went at the slow pace of ten to eleven miles an hour. But we actually went further. We did twelve and a half miles, uh, and because we went one more major east-west road south, we were able to go down to an east-west road with a larger shoulder, a wider shoulder, with you know a little bit more margin for safety for a young rider who's getting used to it. Mm-hmm. So it, it worked out great. We had fun. We got back, and then of course we we ran. They had the. Uh, the infamous taco truck we talked about that had the yummy, yummy tacos that took 45 minutes. Such good tacos. So we but... skipped out on that. We just went to the grocery store. And of course, as everyone's looking at us, we walked through the grocery store with our spandex and butt pads. <laughs> Grab some and stuff we're for all dinner. Like sweaty and gross. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Okay. Well, I was sweaty and gross. I Kid was number one fabulous. was sweaty and gross. You were dewy, I guess. <laughs> I don't. Do you want to be glowy? I had my beer jersey on. <laughs> It says yeah. like beer, give your brain a night off. <laughs> yeah, in our well, whatever. We go through the local grocery store and all our spandex and flip it's fine. Nobody cared. There was home, like four people dinner. there. It was great. We had fun. Looking forward to it again. Yeah. Uh, kid one wants to go back. They're like it was a very positive experience. And the route they had chosen for it that was group, great. It was it was one that that first time she went to arrive, we're like, oh. In hindsight, we were hoping they would do one like they did this past week, mm-hmm. which they did, and she's been saying. That was fun. I yeah. like that route. It's not as busy. It's not as stressful. Yeah. Well, and that's what they normally do. So if you are a new ro- rider who, or, or a rider who's nervous around traffic, typically that slow roll will be perfect for you. Absolutely. It's fun. Yeah. It's so much fun. It was just, you know, and that was just part of the kind of an interesting week. I mean, on top of it, my, my brother had an interesting week. Yeah, he did. <laughs> We uh, we found out out of the blue, like, oh, by the way, uh, your brother's at uh, Nationals for fencing. We're like, ho, ho, ho. What do you mean? Like he's going to watch? He's going to watch. He's like, and then it's like, wait a minute. Is the Olympics are down the road? I mean, we're right there. It's national times. Is he's qualifying for the national team? So we had to dig into this a little more to get the details. And it's like, well, wait a minute. No. He's a uh, he's a division three fencer, not but still not top tier going. In, yeah. Still really impressive, especially since like his he's also the top end of his age group mm-hmm. uh, so he's fencing like 20 year olds and he's about to turn 40 and his coach is like no don't fence with the 40 year olds because if you end up in that the old the senior division you end up fencing like 70 year olds and that's not challenging challenge go against the young bucks i'm sure that's what bucks. i'm sure that's what my brother wants to hear is like he's like no i want to be the young buck fencing <laughs> the old dudes but he went to nationals uh impressive yeah that's great Came in, uh, he tied for 161st in his division. Awesome. Yeah, out of 165. Didn't come in last. Didn't come in last. With the foil, if you're a fencing nerd, no, it wasn't picket or chain link. They do epi, foil, and saber, which saber just sounds cool. So I think if I was doing fencing, I'd want to fence with the saber. Or they need a cutlass division. Because they go out there dressed like a pirate. (laughs) Pirate with a little spaghetti strainer on your face. That's hilarious. Yeah. Maybe that's why I don't. Maybe that's why I don't fence. This is exactly. <laughs> I just why play you hockey. Which there was a lot of hockey this week too. Uh, this past Sunday there was bad hockey, which Kid One played. I think our last episode we got the request for her to go uh, play goalie while we were recording mm-hmm. the day of, and then uh, so I went out and skated with her, and then I had the late gate in which team, my team got completely shut out again for the second time this season. We are on a bit Didn't of. Didn't you take kid number two to that last week too? No, 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 not that was Wednesday. So oh. Sunday we had uh, 
bad hockey for her for kid number one and then i had the late game tuesday uh was coach i coached learn to play and then uh kid one had goalie clinic wednesday it was the girls clinic which i helped coach and then uh kid one got off the ice i quickly ran off the ice and got changed and the uh, one of the local players rented out the ice for an hour and a half so I played, and we were short on players, so a few of the guys brought their kids, and so Kid 2 played, which was so much fun, got to skate with him. That was his first time on the ice since May, and yeah. he scored a goal on an adult goalie. Yeah. One of the goalies Good job, in Kid the, number two. Yeah, one of the goalies in the uh, 40-plus league. He did awesome. I was really, it was just fun getting to skate with him. So it's been busy, and then I've got hockey again tonight. Shocking. I know. I've got two games tonight, maybe three. I don't know. So, maybe so four. You, you won't be here tonight? You can watch whatever you want to watch. <laughs> Gunpowder and milkshakes. Here I come. <laughs> that just sounds strange. That is the name it, of the it's show. It's the name right? of a movie on oh. Netflix right now. It's a movie or a show. It's a movie. It's like an hour and fifty-four minutes. I was starting to get into it a little bit. I was starting to get into it too, but we had a very long day yesterday at the lake, and we passed out after like the first twenty minutes. So <laughs> I'm excited to get to watch the end of the movie tonight. Well, you enjoy that. Oh, I will. You got to figure out what to feed the kids for dinner tonight. We just had our big family meal for lunch. We. We had crepes. I did my little crepinis from we discussed on the Welcome to Costco. I love you episode. And <laughs> kid number two made crepes for the family with some help from you. Yeah. For me. Yeah. I helped him with uh, making sure everything made it in there in the correct ratios because we plussed up the recipe. Yeah, and, we probably did need to do that. And you helped him with the uh, over at the stove. But yep. he worked hard on it. He did a good job. They were yummy. Nice savory crepes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we used to go to this crepe place. Like a food truck in uh, the D.C. area at their food, at like their, like their farmer's market. Uh, I guess it was in Alexandria, wasn't it? No, it was in Arlington. It was in Arlington? Yep. Are you sure? Positive. Not Old Town? Not Old Town. Oh, uh, okay. Anyways, the D.C. area. Um, it was down the street from Toby's Ice Cream. Oh, Toby's. So good. Um, anyways, she used to make these amazing savory crepes, and so... When kid number two got this crepe kit in the mail when we were doing the, the little food crepe things for him, um, I was excited because I was like, yes, we can finally make these savory crepes at home. This is going to be amazing. They're going to be so delicious. They weren't quite as delicious as Kate's crepes, but almost. Still pretty good. Yeah. Well, and we were modifying the, it's a simplified recipe because it's supposed, to, it's be supposed to be kids. by kids. And it's supposed to be sweet crepes. So yeah, we've modified you're supposed to, to put Nutella savory. and bananas in it according to that recipe, but... That's not kids were having fun with it tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, kid three was putting Canadian bacon and American cheese inside his kid. Number one was doing uh, smoked turkey. And I think she had cheese in hers. And then she did one where she just put Nutella in it. Nutella. I did. Um, I was trying to entice kid number four into eating her teeny tiny savory crepe. And I was like, look, I'm going to put Nutella and peanut butter into this one. And then I'm going to eat it. And she sat there. She was like, I want one. It's like, great. Eat your food. She didn't eat her food. So I ate the crepe. It was delicious. It looked good. I did. Uh, Not great if you're doing low carb, but it was delicious. Well, I did my low carb version, which they they worked perfectly. Went and folded it up with some Canadian bacon inside, mm -hmm. some cheese, some fresh basil out of our herb garden, folded it up. And then I had the hot pan. I put it in there and just kind of seared it, crisped up the outside a little bit. But it also made the cheese a little bit more gooey. And was able to pick it up and still eat it. Perfect. Soft and fluffy crepini. Just like a crepe should be. Super. Yeah. And I had a little bit of sriracha on the side to dip sriracha. in. Sriracha. Yeah. It's great. Sriracha. Well, 
By the way, we didn't get to do this yet. I don't think it's going to make much of a noise, my little plastic um, cup, but cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it made a noise. Here. Okay, I can make all kinds of noise. All right. While you're sipping on your, what was that again? Matador? A matador. Ole. Ole. Mm-hmm. While you're sipping on your matador, let's get into tonight's uh, episode which at this point needs a better title than what I have written down. Let's play some Segway music and let's get into it. Ready, Jessica? Ready. Let's do this. So this is going to be part of a all-in-the-day's work sort of series, a job series of uh, careers, and it was really came out of uh, your friends who up here, in, especially this corner of Michigan, don't understand fully what you do, don't mm-hmm. get what you do, but also in a broader sense, even working with all the kids I've coached over the years, they don't get what behavior analysis is because it's not... It's funny because one of the leading schools in it is Western Michigan here in Southwest Michigan. And yet it's still largely unknown in this part of Michigan. They hear, oh, psychology. They think they know what that is. Oh, behavior. What What the hell is that? <laughs> uh, we're not in, in fully integrated into the schools like they are in Florida and other states. Uh, it, it There is a license for it now in Michigan. I have that. Which is finally kind of caught up because a licensure has been all over the place. But even board certifications, um, while they have an international certification... And Florida actually led the way with a state certification before the international board set up. Uh, it, Michigan's just wholly, in terms of behavior analysis, not as progressive of states like Florida, California, Colorado, Texas, yeah. New York, on down the line. So <laughs> let's uh, let's back this up. We're going to run through what you do all day. Okay. And we're going to do your corner of behavior analysis. We're not going to do the whole encompassing field because that, that's more than one episode's worth of stuff. But to just really break this down, behavior analysis is the study of the principles of behavior. I mean, in a nutshell, in one sentence, that's what behavior analysis is. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to put behavior and really break that down to its most basic level, it is any muscular, glandular, or electrical activity by any living creature. Did you study your cards? I did not, but I had it <laughs> so ingrained in me as an undergrad and then teaching using the same books or the series of books that kept having new editions come out. Yeah. Uh, I have not forgotten them. Typically, when we talk about uh, behavior analysis, we're speaking about human behavior, but that's not the end all be all because there's behavior analysts that work with pets and animals. And then we know one that works for the AKC, the American Kennel Club. Quite often, zoos and aquariums have behavior analysts on staff to work with animals. But they do very much work with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will find behavior analysts out working basically anywhere. I mean, what usually comes to mind for people are clinics and homes and schools and hospitals, working with individuals with challenges. But you also find them in office buildings, factories, construction sites, kitchens, in retail settings. You can find them in gyms and sports facilities, even on professional athletic teams, all the way down to like, oh, hell, I was a behavior analyst working with as a coach for high school and middle school Um athletes and as i mentioned zoos aquariums wildlife parks nature preserves for those working with animals Um, on the clinical side of course there's all sorts of credentials and they keep increasing the the credentials out there and what's out there but what people might most commonly see out there for behavior analysis of credentials are the bcbad which is the board certified behavior analyst doctoral level certification 
There's the BCBA, which is the Board Certified Behavior Analyst. Uh, functionally, those are almost exactly the same. The D just signifies your you're doctor. a doctor. Yeah, which usually you have a PhD after your name or, or some other doctoral degree that goes with it. There's the BCABA, which is the Board Certified Associate Behavior Analyst, which is uh, a bachelor's level certification. And then there's the RBT, which is the Registered Behavior Technician. And those are usually the frontline workers who are supervised by BCBAs. Justin, your work, in a nutshell, and obviously we're going to spend an entire episode talking about this. What do you do? I work with little kids with autism all day, every day. It's great. Uh, What kind of setting do you work in? I work in a clinic-based setting. So we are an intensive ABA unit, and we provide eight hours of direct ABA service in a one-on-one setting five days a week. ABA being applied behavior analysis. Yes. So you're not in a laboratory. You're. I'm not in a lab. I'm not in a home. I'm not in a school. I am in a clinic specially designed for children with on, on the on. Hmm. Especially designed for children on the autism spectrum. When you say clinic, does it look like a doctor's office when you walk in? Does it look like a school? No. Does it look like a daycare? Does it look like a warehouse? What does it look like? It looks... An amusement park? It sort of looks like a cross between a school and a daycare. And the reason I say that is because we don't have like traditional desks in a classroom type setting set up. And, you know, all the desks in a row facing a chalkboard and a teacher at the front. We have um, individual tables... So there's like, I don't know, a square or circular table or a rectangular table. And on one side, there's one chair. And on the other side, there's another chair. And a child and therapist go in that one little space. Now, it could be we are in a big room and it's got three or four little groups of tables and chairs. So three or four clients plus three or four therapists. Or it could be we're in one individual room just for one kid and one therapist. It, it depends and it depends on the, the specific facility and the client's needs. Well, we're going to stick just your facility and what you do. Okay. Because easily we could go down the rabbit hole and make this like just an Super entire... complex. Just a podcast unto itself. Like not an episode, like a whole series unto itself. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to go there because we got a diverse audience who yeah. wants to hear a wide array of things. Um, so we've got a, I got a setting. What age group are you, are you serving? Because obviously... A behavior is universal to anyone who's alive, so yep. birth to death. Yep. What segment of the population are you serving? We are serving um, basically toddlers through late elementary, so roughly two to ten years old. And while we can't get into, I can't ask. Well, I can ask. You can't answer the question if I say well, who is your or what is your youngest client. Obviously, that's out of it. But if you were to kind of round to a six month window, how little? our clients that come through the door in your present setting about a year and a half okay perfect answer yeah and uh if you within a six month range the older end of the spectrum at your facility on the uh client list on my client list yeah in general uh eight or nine ish okay so and it makes perfect sense then that your classroom the way you designed it your set of classrooms throughout your facility really sound like the preschool, kindergarten, maybe even a first grade classroom because that's the age groups you got. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, Um, especially for our little guys. We have like 
sort of a toddler land and we've got the tables in there and they're broken up into specific areas for them but we also have like a pretend play center so we've got the kitchen set up and we've got cars with the floor mat with the roads and things on it and you can have the little wooden buildings that go along with it and we've got an arts and craft area and all of this other fun stuff so they can engage in that imaginative play and pretend you know the pretend play and uh parallel and reciprocal play with their the little guys that are their same size and age and it's wonderful i love toddlerland so much how likely would it be that you would get a client where that actually becomes a target where you specifically have to work on it because it's not i mean even with typically developing kids that's something they sometimes need a little help with but just part of growing but how many i'm trying to ask without asking specifically who's on your case list and has what (laughs) um how likely would it be that a client would end up on your list and, hey, this is some, a target that we want to put extra focus on and help them kind of get caught up on that imaginative play? Oh, I would say at the very least, like 75% of our clients have some sort of imaginative uh, or parallel reciprocal play type program where they would need to use this the, these type of toys. Because that's something that's not developing mm-hmm. naturally. It's, yeah. not, it's a little bit, I mean, I hate to say delay, but it is you're not seeing the progression like it should in a typically developing Right, and a lot of our clients don't really know how to play with toys appropriately. So even if they're too big for toddlerland, we have an entire playroom full of all kinds of toys that do all kinds of different things. And like none of them really know how to interact with them. So we specifically teach them like, hey, this is a potato head. This is how you play with it. And it's so much fun. Yeah, Mr. and Mrs.? We have like seven. Holy we cow. have all kinds of them. We you, have a Batman one. It's you have the awesome. Star Wars ones with the Darth Vader potato no. head. Batman is probably the most interesting one we have. I mean, but it's Batman, so that's good. I could totally like if I worked where you are, I would totally have him in my office. No, they love him. I can't. Well, we get a spare, a spare Batman potato head. To see, it's. I multiverse. do have a giant box of toys under my desk. <laughs> yep, it's pretty great. All right, you mentioned your your clinic based. You're not doing home based. Do you ever get outside of the office? Um, we Are you always just indoors, always indoors? So up until like this month, we've always been indoors. Parent training is a part of what we do. But in the past, for like most of this entire past year that I've been there, parent training has taken place in our conference room in a one-on-one with the parent where we go over all of the client's goals and behavior protocols and the progress that they're making. And they've changed it recently so that and they've changed it recently so that now, instead of just being in the clinic all the time, we are actually going out into the world with our clients um, to work on things like shopping skills and how to deal with tantrums in a restaurant and going to the park and learning how to like approach other kids and say hi and all kinds of really fun things or just like appropriate dinner time behavior in the home or potty training in the home is huge. Um, so I'm really excited to finally get to work on those things with with my clients and their parents because I think that it will be way more beneficial for them to do all of that versus sit in in the room and, and go over graphs and phase changes and things like that. You mentioned how to handle temper tantrums in a restaurant. Yeah. Any chance of handling how to be in a restaurant and not have a temper tantrum? Like to engage in appropriate restaurant behaviors? Well, yeah. Yes, that would be a part of it. Okay. I can't, I can't tell you how. But no, I know you can't, but... How about other things outside the office? You all get to go out. Do you have a playground? We do have a playground. We have like a background area and it has 
all kinds of fun activities back there. There's a swing set and there's a slide and we've got balls and jump ropes and a soccer net. And yeah, oh, I recently got a water, like a tub table, water table thing to put outside for the summer. And it's very popular, especially with me. Um, and it's a really great place for our kids to sort of start to engage in parallel play that can then move on to reciprocal play in terms of sharing toys and learning how to like pour the water and scoop. And I don't know, it's, it's really fun. Sorry, I'm distracted because, uh, as expected, we are a few hours out from the evening of Sunday night hockey and I'm getting hit up with, can kid one sub and play in bad hockey? It's like, yeah. Plus I'm also getting up. Can you remind me who's playing in the early game so I can ask them to come play bad hockey? Check your email. Check your email, dude. It's in there. I sent out a weekly newsletter basically every week, but yeah, distracted by all that. Sorry about that. You should be. I know. Just kidding. <laughs> you mentioned parent training. Yeah. All right. And now obviously COVID kind of threw a monkey wrench and all that. But now that things are people are getting vaccinated and things are getting better and restrictions are going away. When you fully resume parent training, does that mean they'll be coming into the office and they'll be going down and getting in the booth with uh, <laughs> or at the little table and the therapist directly across from them? No. What, um, what does so parent t- training look like or in it general? Did, and it just sort of depends on the client and their specific needs and what the parent needs to learn. So some parents, all of our parents really need to learn the four functions of behavior. And that well, is backup. What are the four? Fun- okay. What is the function of behavior in general? It's the why that you're doing the behavior. It's what is maintaining, causing that behavior to persist. Why are you doing something? How often do you get somebody to do the um, the Hollywood version of what's my motivation? Never. Really? I used to get that all the time. Nobody has said that to me. I don't think anybody's ever said that to me. That's funny. Um, no, but there. So in our field. In general, without going too in-depth, which is really hard for me. Um, yeah, really easy for us to do. <laughs> to slip into down that rabbit hole. Um, you are doing something because you are getting something out of it or to get away from something that you don't like. By getting something, is it always something tangible? No. It could just be like attention from somebody or it could be that something about it just feels really, really good to you for some reason on the inside. Well, that would cause people to want to do things more. Right. Um, it could be, like you said, a tangible, like every time you scream, you get a cookie. Yay. It's fun. Is that too much? No. Okay. Um, (laughs) but yeah, that's, that's look, if I'm a, if I'm like kid, kid four's age. Yeah. And every time I throw a temper tantrum or I start screaming, dear old dad hands me a cookie. Right. Boy, I'm going to scream my little head off. You are going to learn to scream your head off in order to get those cookies. If you like having cookies and you're hungry. (laughs) if you don't that's probably not gonna work probably not (laughs) but but yeah or if i've got to clean my room and i'm a kid four's age and i gotta clean my room but if i start screaming dad says to hell with this (laughs) go play right that is gonna get you out of having to do it so you're gonna learn real fast that every time he asks you to do something you don't want to do if you scream gets you out of it well screaming is going to increase Right. So uh, obviously it's way more complex. It, it, gets, it is. But they, that I think that's you did a great job putting, you know, really in a nutshell, the functions of behavior. Right. So all of our our parents need to learn this because 
eventually they're not going to be at our facility anymore. They're going to be off on their own, but their kid is still going to be doing things and they're going to need to break down those things that they're doing and be able to identify on their own. Why is this occurring? Okay, how can I flip it so that something positive that is appropriate is occurring in order to get the same thing versus doing this thing that I hate that is irritating the pants off of me or their teacher or whatever. But you, but to answer your original question, no, the parents are never directly going into the booth. We would never want a parent to teach their kids the same way that we do. No, I meant the parent going in as as the client, having either you or one of your employees. Well, okay, so we do do role playing. Okay. And it kind of looks like that, but not in the exact same manner. I don't hand them a toy every time they get something right, although that would be fun. I do get excited, though, and scream good job at them when they finally get something. <laughs> They all like it. It's good. <laughs> you mentioned when uh, when your clients leave you and leave your your facility. Mm-hmm. Where do they? Where do they? Kind of. What are some of the places they go? Obviously, we don't want to say this one's going to this specific school and this one's <laughs> going to this specific place. You can't say that for ethical and reasons. Yeah. But in general, where do they go when they're done with you? Because you said eight or nine is like kind of the max at your facility. They go to school. They all go to school. For the most part. Okay. Well, some some of our youngest would be like, they would be instead of coming to us, they would be going to like a daycare type facility. Okay. If if their parents are working, they would go to daycare or some sort of preschool type setting. Um. So they'd be be getting mainstreamed. Yeah, but the older ones are going to school. Those who go off to a let's say the public school system, mm-hmm. are they still receiving um, support services or are like they are done? They are quote unquote cured. No, they're not Uh, cured. (laughs) Um, We don't just blindly send people off into the night and say goodbye. We um, have a whole transition period with them where we talk to the teachers. We're involved in the IEP process. Um, We give lots of tips and tricks. We will even write like behavior plans if the teachers are keen to implement it in the classroom. We can definitely help with that. Um, But it is like a definite time period depends on the kid how long that time period is it could be for a week it could be for, for six weeks it just depends on what exactly they need um, but we're not permanent we do fade out after a time that almost blends in well with what we were doing down in florida way back when you and i yeah because we were assigned to schools the company we worked for had contracts with the local school systems and we were embedded in the various elementary and we had colleagues who were at the middle schools providing those support services for clients who still needed them mm-hmm. right are you hungry? No. You want some more crepes? No, Your I'm digesting my crepes. It's very growly. It's, oh, it made a really fun sound this morning while I was like trying to wake up. It sounded like a special effect that you would hear in a movie <laughs> right before an explosion. <laughs> don't don't leave that in. That's terrible. So many fart comments. Yeah. Now you've got a you've got a staff helping you too. It's not just you, you know all the BCBAs running around in your building. Nope. Doing everything hands-on with every single client. I mean, you've got you've got a lot to do. You oversee an entire case list, and you've got you've mentioned before you've got a counterpart who's also a BCBA. She's got her client list. Mm-hmm. Roughly, how big is your team of RBTs? Uh, roughly like ten. We'll say ten. And your colleague has about another ten. Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you have to do to become an RBT? You have to have either a high school diploma or a bachelor's degree, and you have to go through 40 hours of RBT training. 
After you finish the training, which involves watching a lot of videos to break behavior analysis down into all of the different parts, you have to have, you have to pass the RBT exam. So you have to sit for a full-blown like board exam and it's very terrifying for everyone. It's, it's not that bad though. It just is nerve wracking. And then once you you want to pass so you can have your job. Yeah. Um, once you pass the exam, then you're an RBT and you can only work as an RBT unless you're under the direct supervision of a BCBA. So if someone were to be an RBT and work for me and then they were to decide to decide to leave, they would not just be able to go out on their own and say, I'm an RBT. I'm available to work with your kid. That is not allowed. They can't put out their shingle, so to they speak. They cannot hang a shingle. They can't hang a shingle, open up their own operation right. as a someone with a high school degree or a bachelor's degree which kind of also gets into the thing we always talked about, psychology. It's one of those majors where if you want to go to grad school for psychology, uh, it actually becomes one of the harder majors because you have to do all these extra things. You got to be, you know, be a TA, do extra research experience, grab everything so you can be a competitive grad school candidate, and then you yep. go off to grad school. If you just want a degree, if you want a career and you're like, look, I need to have a bachelor's in something, psychology can become a very easy major. Yeah, again. <laughs> yeah. So it's very strange. I mean, for those who want to go on to grad school, it becomes extremely tough. And for those who just want to get out, mm-hmm. it's easy. But for those who get out with a bachelor's and think they want to work in psychology with just a bachelor's. You can absolutely do RBT stuff. You it can is. do RBT stuff. You can get, there are jobs out there, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be, don't be thinking you're going to be Dr. So-and-so or you're going to be counselor so-and-so. You No. No, you need extra training. Yes. Um, but this is a great way for someone with a bachelor's. To, hey, say they need time off between their master's. They're like, I've just I've had enough college. I've been here for like five years. I need to get out, make some money, save up so I can go to grad school. Absolutely. Uh, what do you say to those people who are like, hey, there's this RBT job out there? I tell them, please come and work with me. I will train you. I will be your best friend. We will work with these kids together and you will fall in love with them and you will love it. Um, I have a lot of people that are actually like that. They've finished their bachelor's. They needed time off. And now they're, they know that they want to work with kids with disabilities. And this is a good way to get their feet wet. Some people are like, yes, this is amazing. I love behavior analysis. I'm going to grad school for this. It's going to be great. And other people come in and they're like, oh, this is intense. And this is way more than I bargained for. I don't think. Not saying that daycare workers aren't paying attention, but they could sit back a little bit. No, I think it's. Montessori style free for all. A lot of people don't think about the aggressive side that is often present with people with autism. Um. There, there is a level of aggression that's typically involved. Very rarely do I get a client that's not aggressive in any way. And it can be a lot to... How much of that aggression is, one, not knowing the appropriate response, two, frustration because a, there's communication um, barriers to get through, and three, the age level because little kids tantrum even when they're typically developing. Yes, they do. Um, I can't give you like a, a percentage-wise, but a good... I can say that a good chunk of mine are being aggressive because they don't have an effective way to communicate. And then you know, once we teach them a way to communicate, that aggression drops out. As and a it's math and wonderful. stats guy who also understands ethics, a good chunk is totally acceptable for this purpose. It's, it's a, yes. I'll accept that. Thank you. Um, but another good chunk is aggressive because they have learned I can get what I want or I can get away from this thing that I don't want if I smack you across the face. Um, so... Anyways, back to what I was talking about with RBTs. Um, 
they were not prepared for dealing with the aggression and they come in and they're like, yes, I love kids with autism. I want to do this in some capacity, but ABA is not for me. I think maybe I want to be a physical therapist or maybe I want to go be a speech pathologist or I want to be an OT, occupational therapist or or something not ABA where you're just dealing with straight up behavior all day, every day. <laughs> and that is totally fine. Someone At least you works. tried it and now you know for sure that that is not for me. But that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. Because no, there's now they not. Can work in conjunction with yes. the behavior analyst, because how often are you working with other professionals and other specialties? Because you're not the end all be all to solving the world's problems, even with your own client's no. list or your client list. Uh, they've got, um, they have a whole team of specialists. I'll say they have challenges that go beyond your mm-hmm. specialty. Yeah, no, we are in constant communication with all kinds of other service providers. I will say that I get to spe- see our speech pathologist once a week, and that is always a good time. She's delightful. She has wonderful ideas. I love getting to work with her. What, and what they can see is you got your shoulders going up and you just smile and you got the, like, the warm fuzzies kind of. Yeah, she really is great. It's, it's always a good time when she comes. Well, this sounds like it's a great job for the 22, 23, 24-year-olds who finish their bachelor's and want to get their feet wet and actually add some experience to help with those uh, oh, yeah. applications to grad school. Are all your RBTs in their early 20s? Nope. So Mm-mm. it's not, I mean, if you're like in your 30s, 40s, 50s, it's not like, well, this sounds awesome, but well, I guess I've missed the boat. No, it, we're open. Like you can be an RBT at any age. We, we don't, uh, there is no ageism, age bias. We don't, we don't really care as long as you meet the minimum requirements of having a bachelor's or a high school diploma and that you can meet the physical demands of the job because it's not just sitting in the chair all day long with the kid. It is up, down, up, down, carry around, up, down, up, down, lay on the floor, roll around, run through the building. I got to ask, Go run outside. what size are these chairs? Because when I worked in the schools, one of the schools I worked at, my office was a converted first grade classroom and they, the furniture they provided me was first grade furniture. <laughs> hilarious. So I had to sit in those first grade size, kindergarten size chairs yes. at a desk that was near the ground. So like my knees are like up at my chin as I'm typing on my laptop, trying to type up programs and analyze data that I was sending my staff out to go collect for me. And I, I'd go out and spot check it. And sometimes I'd go spot check more than I was supposed to because I got to get out of this office. I can't. If I stay any longer with my knee up by my chest while I'm typing on a laptop, I won't be able to move to get to my car at the end of my shift. So, yeah, that is a really good question. And our we we do have those little tiny blue chairs. We have two sizes of them. We have preschool size and like third grade size, but they are the little blue chairs at and the little the, tiny tables. What your RBTs are sitting in as well? Yep. Something to keep I in mind. I sit in them too, though. To be fair, I will go sit... Um, Part of being an RBT is, is one of the requirements is that you get a certain amount of direct one-on-one supervision a month, and, and they do have to track it, and they do have to give me those logs at the end of the month. Um, but part of that is me so, just sitting there watching them, and I will go and sit in those little blue chairs and watch so they're, and participate but, but they're, with them. Um, they're keeping track of how often you're yes. supervising them. That's mm-hmm. an awesome system. Yeah, it is. Because it's on them, and you're not having to constantly mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, like, well, I saw you this much or that much. I mean, I know you do because see how you are, but they pretty much like if they're not paying attention. Yeah, no. So it depends on the if it depends on the BCBA. If you have somebody like me who keeps a running list of I watched you on this date for this amount of time with this kid, 
Um, I have a system in place where my, my right hand person will hand out slips of paper at the end of each week with all of that information for those people. But there are other BCBAs who are way more busy than I am that are like, I, I don't have time to monitor for this for you. You need to be paying attention to when I am with you. You need to write it down in your notebook that you keep in your pants or on your hand or something and make sure it gets on your list because that's on your, your hand, job. The original Palm Pilot. I write on my hands all day, every day. So I am definitely not going to bash people for that. But um, it, it is ultimately up to them to be tracking those hours and making sure they get to me by the end of each month. I know that I'm doing my part. I need you to fill out your forms. In terms of, I mentioned warm fuzzies, those that heartwarming tearjerker moments. It's like, oh, how often do you encounter those a day or a week in your job? Every day. I get warm fuzzies every single day because at some point, either a kid on my caseload or a kid on my counterpart's caseload is going to do something amazing that they've been working on forever. And it is the greatest thing in the world. Like if you are in this field and you're not getting warm fuzzies from what you're doing, you need to find something else to do. Because part of the reinforcement for going to work is getting that warm fuzzy feeling, seeing your client succeed. It's so nice. How often do you encounter the exact opposite feeling where it's like, God damn it, that didn't work right. Or I just got hit by a chair that came flying. Around. I mean, we've talked about my my experience working in <laughs> clinical settings. I usually got hit by chairs or had chairs flying at me. I had chair throwers on my case list a lot. But something like that where you've gotten hit or hurt, maybe not um, the, the intent was not by the client was not to hurt you, but they were just la- acting out, lashing out, tantruming and things went flying and you just kind of go back to your office like, well, that was not a stellar day. That was definitely not a warm, I mean, fuzzy that, moment. That probably happens, I don't know, once a week at the very least. That's a pretty no. awesome ratio. Though. Yeah. You're having warm fuzzies every day. Every day somebody does something you're amazing. Like, but part of part of this is you have to know to look for the little tiny things um so i have a client who has worked on a skill for seven months straight and that person finally did the thing two weeks ago and i cried like full-on had to leave go cry in my office because i was so happy about it and this skill this isn't like we're not going from doesn't know how to use hammers and screwdrivers to build a car. We're talking baby steps. This is a total S- baby step. Seven months to get to baby step number one. Baby, yes. And you broke it down to I broke it baby down steps into, of the baby step? Yes, I did. And that person finally did it after seven months. And I cried. It was a really exciting day. Happy tears. Happy tears. That was a great day. Um, but I mean... To counter it, though, that you're going to have bad days. Sometimes you get hit in the face. Sometimes you get your hair pulled. Sometimes you listen to a kid scream for four hours straight. So it just it depends on the day. And it's it's fine. It comes with the territory. But I do think it's important that people know that that can happen and are prepared for that. Because, like, if you think that it's just going to be this warm, fuzzy, I'm going to go and I'm going to play with this kid and we're going to snuggle and we're going to play pretend and we're going to play with our friends. Like, you need a reality check because that's not... No, that's not really what's happening. That's that's what happens in a daycare. And you've got goals to accomplish and are those goals just for and giggles or why, where are the goals coming from? 
The goals are coming from deficits that we pinpoint during their initial assessments. We are talking to the parents to find out what they want their kid to be able to achieve by the end of their time with us. We are talking, we are looking at normative um, behavior for kids that age. Like a three-year-old should be able to manipulate a fork in order to put food into their mouth. They should not be just shoving fistfuls of food hand over fist into oh, their face can't do it to like the, eat. The SNL skit with what Will Ferrell or feeding Mama Bird style? You cannot do that. Like we are, we are not going to be doing that. We are going to teach you to use a fork. Not when you're forty. And to chew and to swallow on your own. Well, we're that's actually Who was incorrect. the guest star in that skit? Was that Mary Steeber? No, it was um, Juliana Margulies. Oh, that's right. Um, but yeah, that that episode is great. I highly recommend that. Anyways, um, we we are doing. We're looking. We use the VB map. As one of our big assessments, VB being for the verbal behavior. Um, so we're identifying deficits there across language, gross motor, fine motor, peer interactions, matching to sam- all kinds of all kinds of things. Is there anybody or any entity holding you accountable for the work you do and making sure you you're making strides in the right direction? You're not just sitting there. Well, we'll bill again. You know, you're not just billing the bill. <laughs> so the company has really, really great ethics. That is part of the reason I love my company so much because we are not just holding on to clients so we can keep billing against their insurance forever because I have worked at places like that and it's terrible. It is a terrible way to practice and it's also unethical. Um, so for that reason alone, I love my company. Um, but the other people that are holding us are account- accountable are, are the insurance companies. They are actually looking at the data every six months, and they're reviewing whether or not services continue to be warranted. Also, the parents are holding us accountable because, like, they come in, they give us their little tiny human, and they say, please help us with X, Y, and Z. And then they're with us for six months, and we make zero progress on X, Y, and Z. Like, parents are not going to keep paying for that. And then there's also my actual boss who is holding me accountable, too. There's a lot of layers to it. And then there's my personal and professional ethics. Like, I don't want to just hang on to a kid just because they're filling a seat in my in my building. I, I want to go in. I want to teach my kids to do the things. I want to set them up for success in the future in the future, so that they can be the best version of themselves possible. Groovy. Yeah. Wait, what would you say is the more, for you, the more challenging piece of your job? managing client behaviors and client programs to improve uh, the performance on those behaviors or managing the staff who are implementing your programs? It's managing the staff. And it's not to say that my staff is difficult. They're not. They're wonderful. I adore working with all of them. Um, but managing like a group of people is is hard for me. Like I just, I, I really just want to go in and do one-on-one and do do the things to to get the best for this kid. Uh, I I don't managing people is is just difficult. It's a different. For me. It's another specialty. It is another specialty in ABA. It's one that you're much more competent at than I am. It's organizational behavior management and performance management. Yeah, yeah. but I spent more time on that. So when you went through your your graduate experience and your clinical training, what did you spend more time on the the actual client services or the staff management piece? Because I know you had a Client. class in staff management. Yeah, we did, but it was like a semester and it all basically tied into working with people like clients. So we just sort of, I did enough to get my A in that class, but then I let it go. Yeah. Because I was more concerned with like the actual clinical side of 
practicing. Right. You expect to tell the staff, like, this is how you do it, and they'll do they'll it. They'll just do it, and there won't be any, like, background of, like, well, my grandma died, and I don't want to come to work today, and, or, I hate this person over here. I'm not going to work with them, and I, oh. In talking to, like, lab mates and classmates <laughs> and colleagues we had going through, because there's really, often we saw the two tracks. There was the business organizational side, and there was the clinical side. The clinical side, people were like, and if the staff doesn't perform, screw it. We'll bring you guys in over from the organizational side to go fix them and get them to do the stuff right. So they'll do yes. our, cl- our programs right with our clients because you all are focusing on the clients. Yeah. The clinical piece. Yeah. that We don't have that, though, where I work right now. Like, there's not any OBMers that I'm aware of in, in my company and certainly not in my building. Um so that's only you could find an OBMer when you need yeah, help. But I can't. I can't just bring you in. I know you can't give me too many specifics either. There's ethics. I mean, even though we're exactly. married and we're both in the same field, can't you can't do tell it. me. You can just say, "Well, I got hit by a client." Well, what were they doing? I can't tell you that. What they hit you with? Oh, I can tell you that. It was a book that came flying. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, it's it's hard because like I, when when I was practicing in Florida. Um, I had the luxury of bringing in undergrad and graduate students. Those people wanted to be there. They were like, yes, ABA all the way, working with kids with disabilities all the way. This is great. I'm so excited to be here and learn all of these things. And that is not like all of, all of my staff is excited about all of those things, but also this is like a job. And if they don't like it, they can just quit and go find another well, job. And Flor- they know this. So. To be fair, in Florida... How many undergrads and grads did you ever have work for you that were not vetted by me? They made it through my classes. Then they worked for me as researcher and therapeutic assistants and behavior techs and then went to you. One. One. So that, that kind of lends to why they were so in love with behavior analysis because they've already <laughs> survived the Marco School of Hard Knocks. Right. Um, and they're probably thrilled to get away from me and be with you. I am a little bit nicer than you are. Not much, oh, but... Well, I'm just very matter-of-fact, this is what you need. I tell them what they need to do. I give them feedback on how they're doing it and then make decisions based on the results. I do all of that. I just sugarcoat it. You're cuter than me. Um, Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I think positively. I give, I, I Definitely give cuter than me. more good jobs than you do. Speaking of good jobs, do you just sit there all no. day and your staff sits there all day going, oh, good job, good job, good Actually, job? Actually, that's not true. They do until I hit them up with my nifty 100 ways to say good job without saying good job worksheet. What, what is the good job uh, game that you like to play with them sometimes? Who can come up with more ways to say good job in 30 seconds? Let's do a quick version. Okay. Siri, start a 10-second timer. 10 seconds, counting down. Fantastic, stupendous, awesome, amazing, wow, wonderful. Oh my gosh, you did it. That's great. I think I think everyone gets the point though. Yeah. We like, don't need to do a minute, minute and a half, 30 seconds. No. Actually, we don't. 30 seconds is challenging but, for an RBT who hasn't had because you even when we started this in grad school, it was hard. It's actually we've gotten better at it because we've done it for so long. Mm-hmm. Now we just like, oh, what You just what are is? basically going through your list of positive adjectives in your head throughout the day. But you're not constantly saying good job. Good job. No, good and job, good that job. is like a huge pet peeve of mine. If I notice that somebody is doing it, I will pull them and say, hey, you're just repeating the same thing in the same way all day, every day. And what's going to happen is your client's going to decide they hate the sound of that. And it's not going to be reinforcing anymore. It's actually going to be aversive and you're going to start seeing behaviors. So knock it off. Pull out that list I gave you and start using the word awesome 
or amazing or groovy or something, not good job. Vary it up so that we're we're not doing the same thing every time. What percentage of your day would you say is spent doing paperwork? Mm, Granted that most of that paperwork is not actually on paper anymore. No, actually, all of ours still is. They have not digitized the BCBA stuff yet. Um, Well, no, that's not true. So every day we have to do X amount of hours of billing per day. And all of that billing goes on a like actual piece of paper. We handwrite it. And that's going so off to the insurance that's, companies? That's actually about half of our day right there is spent doing this worksheet. And yes, it is submitted to insurance every single day. Um, we do have various reports that are due X amount of times per year. Those are significantly more involved because we have to analyze the data. We have to write things up. We have to explain changes that we made, why we quit doing something and started doing something else. So there are some times where I can spend 100% of my day just doing paperwork. Fortunately, that's few and far between, not everybody is going to have their insurance report due on the exact same day. So that's good. Um, but I would say about half of my day, I am filling out papers. And the other half, I'm directly looking at clients and writing programs and making sure things are going the way they're supposed to be, or I'm testing new things with clients or, yeah. What percentage, like for contrast, what percentage of the day for the IBTs are they spent like with a client? 100%. Okay, so if you want to be... I'm sorry, not exactly 100%. Let's say like 90% because they do have three uh, three breaks throughout the day that last for less than 10 minutes. And they are coming in before the clients arrive and leaving yep. after the clients go home. So mm-hmm. there's a, that fringe a little bit, but when the clients are in the building, what percentage of their time? Like 90% of their time is... W- or more. With, yeah. with the client, a one-on-one. So if you want time out of the client, RBT is the way they go. Yeah, because as you move up, and that's true for most things, like in engineers, you want to be the, the engineering tech, you're going to be on construction sites and in front of stuff pretty much most of your time. And if you're the chief engineer, you might occasionally get to get out in the field, get your boots dirty. Yeah, so it is really thrilling for me when um, one of my RBTs will say, hey, can you sit with my kids so I can go to the bathroom and make a phone call? I'm like... Heck yeah, I will stay with your kid. Okay, kid, we're going to be in the booth and we're going to do these things and I'm going to reinforce the heck out of you. And it's so much fun. I love it. It's the best. But I don't get to do it very often. So it is like a little treat for me because I miss it. I miss having that one-on-one with my clients and getting to play with them and directly teach them all of these amazing skills. You've described before this is... um really kind of a dream situation. It's your, your dream uh, clientele within the autism uh, spectrum, the autism clientele on this clinical side of doing ABA. This is your favorite age group. The, yep. the toddlers, or sometimes we call them the itty bitties, all the way up to eight or nine year, years old. That's your, your subset that you like working with the most. And so you've just loving it. Yep. Describe with this, this ideal population, describe what, like, the perfect day, hypothetically, the perfect day for you? Um, they come in, we work on the things all day long. I don't get smacked in the face. <laughs> the things are whatever their, their respective targets yeah, are. Yeah, they're, they're making progress with all of their goals and they're trying really hard and they're getting, they're making progress and they're, they're showing us that they've learned the things and they're doing it without engaging in maladaptive behaviors. Maladaptive being things that are like not, it, not the yeah. ideal response. Well, yeah. Whatever age level they're at. Mm -hmm. Like saying, I'm tired, I need a break would be adaptive response to being worn out. Throwing the chair, because I like (laughs) chair throwing examples, would be maladaptive, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
What is a nightmare day for you? <laughs> what would that look like? It, it, it involves, one, getting, like, if I were to get terrible feedback from my counterpart or one of my RBTs or my boss, like, just, you suck at this and I need you to be better. They would never say it like that, but... It, amounts to that that would be a really bad day or if I came in and I had a client that was there all day and that person just decided today's gonna be a bad day and I'm going to beat everybody up for eight hours while I'm here that's a bad day I know you're quite the professional and you've worked hard at being a professional all your professional career however how deeply personal do you take the um the development and you want the best for your clients, how deeply personal do you take it? Is this something that when, as soon as it's, Oh, it's quitting time, the brain switches off that piece of it or how much of it do you carry home with you? I carry it home every single day, all day, every day. I go to work. I think about work. I think about my clients and what I can do to be better for them. Things I can put in place to make their lives easier and better for their parents as well. Um, and why then can't, why can't and you then turn it off? I because I I love them and my wheels are constantly spinning and I still want the best for them even when I'm not in the building directly working with them. Um, I've got you know some clients now that are getting ready for big changes and all I can do is like worry that oh my gosh are they ready are they going to succeed in their new in the new things that they're going to go and do is have I done all of the best that I can, can do for them? Are their parents ready for all of these big changes that are coming? Once they leave my care, are they going to be okay? Cause I don't get to have contact with them after they leave my services. So I, I don't, unless the parent directly contacts me, I don't get to hear how they're doing. Um, all of those things. You mentioned that the parents, you don't necessarily get to find out how things are going after they've left your treatment and, that's for because there's legal and ethical uh, mm -hmm. reasons to that, which leads into my question. What is probably the, some of the biggest ethical challenges uh, that you run into in your current work, either with you or the RBTs you uh, yeah. supervise? So like I we have to have boundaries between myself and the RBTs. I cannot become their best friend. I cannot go and hang out with them after work. And on the weekends, like, that's not appropriate. There has to be a line in the sand. And the same thing goes for the parents of my clients. Like, I can't, I can't go and hang out with them. I have a photography business on the side. I cannot go and photograph my clients. Um, that would be highly unethical and it could be very bad for me. Um, it's difficult because you want to do all of these really fun things, especially if you have just amazing parents that are hilarious and they've they've done all the things that they're that you're asking of them. And and they're just, you know, really fun people. Um, you, you want to go and hang out with them, but you can't do that. Or they on the flip side, they've decided that like me as a therapist is just amazing and they really want to be like friends with me and Facebook plays into this where like they will send me a friend request so they can sort of get in my life and see what's what's going on behind the scenes like I can't accept any of those I cannot I can't let them in that much yeah. and it's it's a hard like it's it's we actually awkward and it's a hard thing to like put out there because you don't want anybody to feel bad and you don't want them to think I don't like you. And that's, that's never no. the case. It's just ethically, I, I'm not, I'm not allowed we, to do this. We do know people in our field though, who have created kind of a secondary social media accounts, their professional accounts mm -hmm. so that they can go, 
oh yeah go like that account but all their personal stuff pictures of their kids their cats their dogs or whatever their vacations going out drinking with friends you know that kind of stuff their vacations end up on their personal one that's listed under a different name other than their name so if someone goes and searches their name their professional account shows up and it's all sanitary or sanitized and cleaned up and you know very prim and proper and there's whatever it's there so somebody can like it and think they've connected um so that's their way of handling that social awkwardness of Mm -hmm. i want to track you down and follow you and i'm going to be a stalker about it like not to the full stalker degree but i'm going to keep looking until i find it yeah so they put low-hanging fruit for them to quickly find then listed under like their middle name or their cat's name or their you know, their ferret's name. Or just like their nickname or something. Their nickname or something. They have the one that the the actual friends. Uh, that know, are, yeah. That, that we all know about. Are, know about and see is like, so we can see the, the deeply personal things like their knitting or their <laughs> whatever. You gotta come up with other examples. She's gonna know who you're talking about. <laughs> well, she's not the only one. Their, <laughs> their kids uh, rocket football team, their kids little league team, you know, baby pictures. That yeah. stuff. We went on vacation, you know, here's all of us hanging out at the beach. That kind of stuff is on the other account, the one that's not listed under their name. So that's, that's one way. The other way is like for you and I, for the most part, our personal accounts one, we set them to private. Two, we're very tight on who we let in. And three, we don't really list them under our full name. Oh, mine's list. Well, no, it's not. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But I like to nip this right at the beginning. Um, I sit down with my clients' parents and I have like super awkward conversations that consist of, please don't give me gifts. I won't be able to accept it. It's super awkward for you to hand me a present and me go, no, thank you. Here you go. Because that sucks. And um, please don't send me friend requests on Facebook or Instagram because, again, I'll have to delete it. Can't accept it. Um, and also, like, if I happen to see you in a grocery store, I'm not going to come chase you down unless you specifically tell me right now that it's okay for me to say hi to you. Um, yeah, it's just... One thing it's awkward that city is what it is. That at the moment you work uh, about forty five minutes away from home, so yes. the odds of running them into running into them at the grocery store are decreased. So, right more than like other places we've lived where you worked very close mm-hmm. to where I mean, we worked very close to where we live. I mean, obviously, if you see them in the grocery store, you're not going to run away. But I one hundred percent will run away. <laughs> I will turn around and go down a completely different aisle. But you've explained it to them ahead of time so they don't get a you know a weird complex about it, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean, if like, it, like I said, part of this is having that conversation. What do you want to happen when I see you in the grocery store? Do you want me to pretend like I don't know you? Do you want me to come and say hi? Do you want me to wait to move until you come and say hi to me, and then I know it's okay? Like it's a it's a weird conversation, but it needs to take place because I, I need to know how to act in these situations. I remember when we were in Tallahassee and I had my behavior text working for me and I always had to have that conversation with them about when you go out to the bar, I think you can't talk about the clients. Oh, yes. Even if you don't use their, they're like, well, we just won't use their name. Like, no, if you're sitting in a booth and you're describing the client, I mean, Tallahassee is a small place. The person in the booth behind you might be an aunt, an uncle, exactly. a cousin, family friend and they'll know who they're you're talking about so you just you can't talk about it Mm -hmm. if you want to talk about like pretend like there's some sort of invisible screen and the object that came flying across the room and hit you once it's airborne you can say i got hit by a book at work Mm -hmm. i got hit by a chair (laughs) 
keeping the chair seat. But the sender, right? You the can't. Launcher, you can't say Billy punched me in the nose again today. Like you're not allowed to do that. That kid with the crazy red hair and the right. one blue eye and one green eye. <laughs> you know, look, that's going to narrow it down real fast. Yes, it they is. could figure out who you're talking about. But if you just say the inanimate object that was airborne, mm-hmm. and then talk about the receiving end, hit what part of your like? Oh, it hit me in the head. It hit me in the butt. You know. What part of your body? Now you're the receiver. That's your body. You can talk about that. You can't talk about the clients. You can't use descriptive terms of the clients. Right. And all of this boils down to privacy. Our yes. clients are entitled to their privacy and so are their families. Um, and a good chunk of my clients don't want people to know that their kid is coming to my center. They don't want their kid. They don't want everybody to know that their kid has this diagnosis. Um, they're intensely protective of of their child's privacy for whatever the reason is. It doesn't even matter what the reason is. They're all entitled to privacy and we need to make sure that we're, we're respecting that in all of the areas that we might be in, be it at home or out at a restaurant or in a park or whatever, because God forbid you go home and say, Billy punched me in the face and he has freckles and blue hair and it's always in a mohawk and whatever. And then we go to the grocery store and Billy happens to be there and you say, hey, Jess, look, there's Billy. He punched you in the face. Let's go see if he'll put like it could be it could be very, very bad. Yeah, good. So just don't do it. We've chatted about it a number of times before. And like and the whole uh, kind of spark for this episode is that, you know, really came out of you have friends, but we also have family who don't get what you do. Part of that is uh, our field doesn't have a strong presence in this part of the country. Uh, another part of that is that even though uh, the rates of autism are really just keep climbing and climbing and climbing. Mm-hmm. I think the last set of numbers I saw was one in 54 kids is on the autism spectrum. When you go out for drinks and stuff, what comes up more? Why does your job exist <laughs> or what do you do? It, it always starts with what do you do? Okay. Um, if and you what say, do you tell them kind of like at that so cocktail I, hour, I happy have, hour level? I have stopped telling people that I'm a behavior analyst because always they're going to say, are you analyzing my behavior right now? What's it telling you about me? Yes. That I'm a psychopath? Yes. Like... <laughs> I say, wow, you're really imaginative, aren't you? I'm going over here yes. now. Um, so I, I don't like dealing with that follow-up question because I think it's stupid. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have just started telling people, I work with kids with autism. And then they say, oh, wow, what's that like? And then I will tell them, well, it's it's pretty cool. I get to teach kids how to do all of the things that are going to set them up for success in the future as they grow and continue to learn. And then they'll say something like, well, like what? What can't they do? And I'll say, well, some of them don't know how to talk. So we work on language skills. And some of them don't know how to play with their friends. So we teach them peer relationships. And some of them don't know how to use a fork. So we teach them how to use a fork so they can feed themselves. It just depends on the kid and and what their needs are. Some don't know how to use the bathroom correctly. And and while for a two or three-year-old, that wouldn't be abnormal. Nope. If you're eight. Right. It's a problem. Or nine, because that's the high end of what you got. I mean, mm-hmm. technically, it is at other centers. So you have your company has lots of well, centers. They've got clients that go higher in age than eight or nine, right? Yes. Yeah. So it, in theory, at some other center, they got somebody who's like a teenager who's still working on bathroom skills. Mm-hmm. In theory, you've had clients like that. Yeah, I did. We like, had. To, I think we had everybody work, has had a client like that. When you get to a certain age uh, for female clients, you've got to. You have all kinds of fun. Another things to work, set of work on. Uh, of personal hygiene behaviors you got to work on. Yes. And when they're uh, 
their verbal communication skills are limited, that makes it even more challenging. So you want to work on the verbal communication part because that facilitates just better overall quality of life. Absolutely. Anyway, back to you. Like you're out for drinks with your friends. They're asking what you do. And you're trying to give like the elevator speech version, the happy hour level speech. I mean, it just boils down to I work with kids with autism. And if they want more, I will I will give them more. And I'll say I'm, I'm a behavior analyst. I work on changing their behavior in a wide variety of ways um, across all kinds of different settings. And then if they want more than that, I'll... I'll How often do they just ex- accept it and leave they, it at that? Most people just hear, oh, you work with kids with autism? Oh, okay. That's, wow, that's something special right there. You must be a nice person. And then they will change the subject because most people don't want to talk about this. It is a little bit deep for happy hour. It It is. I get it. Um, but every once in a while, you get somebody who has like heard of ABA or has heard of a person or knows somebody that has autism. They're like, hey, I have questions. And then it can it can be a fun conversation at that point. How frustrating is it when you get into that kind of conversation, though, and someone thinks they, they know or understand autism, what the spectrum entails? And in speaking with them, you, they clearly they have no clue what they're Are you talking, talking about. about somebody that like thinks that just in general. I actually like don't have one particular person in mind, but I've run into instances where I've uh, been having a conversation with somebody and autism came up. And, you know, sometimes it's because we've been talking about kid number two, uh, our kid number two, and in having a conversation with them, it's like you have a Hollywood, a very version, weird version, a very Hollywood version, television version of what autism is. And, what they depict on film and on screen most often is not the reality. Yes. And it's made harder by the fact that it is a spectrum and there is such a wide range. And so they'll go, Oh, your kid is, you can ha- carry on a conversation. Your kid has autism. He must be so good at math. Yeah. Which do you take him to Vegas to like bet on stuff? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Rain man. Um, fun fact. I've never seen rain man. Well, we could watch it sometime. Nope. Judge Wapner. I'm good. Um, but uh, <laughs> so that that's frustrating. But um, I when, have you run into this? Yes, I've run into this. And it how do is you handle it? Very frustrating for me. Um, I will very gently correct them. And then I will change the subject because unless they push me on it and then and then I won't. Uh, I will maybe not so gently correct them on things and expand their knowledge base a little bit on the realities of it, um, both as a parent and as a practitioner. But usually I'll just say, oh, you know, that's it's not it's not actually like that. That's a very rare thing that can happen. Sort of like people with Tourette's. Everybody thinks, oh, you have Tourette's? You must swear all the time. Um, because that's, again, what Hollywood says happens, and that is not the reality of it. such a small percentage of it, those it with really Tourette's is. have that and specific uh, presentation. Exactly. Um, and, and just like... With people with Tourette's in Hollywood, with autism, everybody thinks, oh, you're a savant. What are you really good at? Piano, math, reading. What What is it? What's your special skill? And it's like, well, that's like 1% of the population has some sort of savant ability. That's not really something you encounter very often. Um, but in, it in makes reality, a great movie. Oh, sure it does. In reality, a person with autism might look like this with all of these characteristics. Meanwhile, this person with autism over here looks wildly different. Because again, are it's you a telling spectrum. me that Hollywood's not accurate? You don't have big claws that come out of your knuckles, and you Marco, don't, don't tell people about my claws. You don't turn into a ball of flame, and <laughs> you don't walk through walls. You don't stare at goats. Sometimes I stare at goats. <laughs> 
when they're when cute. We, when they're cute. Bike riding those to the country. Those little like pygmy goat things. Are those are cute. cute. Uh, I will we're sit at, and watch them all day long. We're at a petting zoo. <laughs> no, Hollywood's not real, guys. That's, you don't have a sword made of light. That's just a writer who saw something really cool or read about something really cool in the newspaper once and then went running with it. It's not. That's not reality. Oh. It's good for the one reason of just getting the disorder out and and making people aware that it exists. But beyond that, don't listen to Hollywood, guys. What would be your takeaway point as we wrap all this up? Within behavioral psychology, within applied behavior analysis, within ABA, working with clients and uh, juvenile clients with uh, on the autism spectrum, what would be pretty much your big takeaway for our podcast audience? Keep in mind that we have a very a diverse podcast audience because we've got sports and training and parenting and cocktails and all sorts of stuff. Really, what statement do you want them to come away with out of coming out of this episode? I I think the big takeaway is just that I love my job. I really, that's that's all there is to it for me. Have we really done a deep dive on your job in this one or is this the tip of the iceberg this is the tip of the iceberg i would love to do a deep dive uh but we can't do that so is it worth revisiting on another episode sure all right we can we can niche it down a little bit (laughs) and uh dive into some hypotheticals that's always a fun thing to do but i can't tell you like billy did this and i'm working on x y and z with billy because blah 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 billy 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 um yeah no, it would have to all be hypothetical. And just to be clear, you don't have anybody on your client list. There Billy is not anyway. one Billy. I, I don't think that I've ever had a Billy on my client list. You know, now that I think about it, I don't think I've had an all my client lists ever. I don't think I've ever had a Billy. No, I don't think I have. No. Mm-mm. All right. Well, I think that's enough for one episode, though. I think we really kind of did a nice tip of the iceberg to your corner of behavior analysis, what you do all day, your day job, because it's not just like some of those run in the mills like, oh, I'm a policeman, fireman, you know, pediatrician where people think they know what they're doing. It's it's out there. There's lots of people who do this job, but it's still largely unknown to the general population. Yeah, it is. Parents are usually baffled when they finally find us and we sort of explain to them what we're going to be doing they're like what what do you you're going to do all of this at once are are you serious how are you going to do this and then i get to say don't worry i'll show you give me six months i'll show you progress it's great it's my favorite and is it great yes it's great (laughs) all right well i see you're down to ice uh so We'll wrap this up so you can get a refill. And next week, we'll be back with another fun topic. But for now, this has been another episode of the Red Arrow Health and Wellness Podcast. Check back. We drop episodes every week, almost every week. They come out on Mondays. And for now, Jessica, this was episode 73. Go check it out. We got 72 others for you to go listen to. Yay. It's been fun, sweetie. It was fun. Bye. Bye. Bye.